I'm, of course, your your host, Joe Magician. That that was that was a way to end an episode, I suppose. That's everybody doing in the chat. I put up a poll asking what people thought of it. Zero percent people hated it. 13 13% meh. 87% love. I think those are the metrics HBO is going for. I think we I think we'll just start start at the top of the episode and we'll just work our way down and then we will talk about Enor's surprising survival, I guess we'll put it that way. So yeah. Okay, so it starts off at the top. We start off with Le with Lena's funeral. Everybody's there. It is a little strange how everybody's there. I am unclear why all the high towers are there and the entire court. Like Lena's important to Corlys, but a lot of them don't really like Corlys very much, especially not Otto. I wasn't sure the entire royal family needed to be there, but it did make for high drama. And boy, do I love high drama. <laughs> Egg Six is having an existential breakdown in the chat, trying to figure out if he loves or hates it or loves it going back and forth all the way might be the one hate vote <laughs> yeah dragon feelings are happening there was a lot of dragons in this one i counted seven i think there was so obviously vagar oh boy was there vagar in this one Caraxes, sea smoke melees cyrax sunfire dreamfire and what was the other one i said i put i put this in the patron slack i think that was it so seven dragons were there if i counted that correctly there was a quote from the books that was a really good one that they talked about how it was like it is the there were so many dragons at Lena's funeral it was like a new Valyria but you could tell that the High Towers did not want to be there they are putting a lot of effort into making Aegon just be completely completely unlikable and he buried the needle on this one it was it was quite something him yawning in the middle of Lena's funeral not even like off in the back somewhere not out of sight or anything like that. Front and center, Aegon is going, just pulling one of those. I guess a long night of drinking and trying to nail all the servers at whatever event he was at the night before. Really trying to make him look like a total piece of shit. Vagar didn't actually show up for quite a bit, yeah. The way she showed up was, well, okay, we're going to get to that in a little bit. So, very touching moment. You have the Valarians looking absolutely devastated. Rhaenys looks like she's about to break down her kids. Bela and Reyna totally devastated by the loss of their mother. Coralise is somewhere like trying to figure out where things are going in the future and also how to have an emotion at the same time. He's like, part of him's like, oh, I lost my daughter. This is terrible. Also like this really screws up my super ambitious plans for the future. And this does come up later in the episode that Coralise is so laser focused on the, the future of House Valarian as a major house as being the, the big house in Westeros besides the Targaryens being maybe even supplanting them one day that you can tell that his his emotions are really split in that way it's it's not just the loss of his daughter it's the loss of kind of the legacy of where he was going with having you know Vagar in the house and the relationship with Damon and where that alliance would eventually go because you see him right after the funeral and the first thing you see him doing is chatting up Luke and telling him how one day he'll be the Lord of the Tides. And it's like, you can sort of tell that his mind is spinning in a lot of different ways where Rainey's has gone straight to sadness and anger. Anger particularly at Rhaenyra. Really not a big fan of Rhaenyra at this funeral. The cold shoulder that Rainey's gave Rhaenyra could have frozen her solid. But I thought the there's a lot of really interesting things, especially in Vaiman's speech, I guess. If this did confirm basically that the Valarians have their own sort of funeral rites 
that they don't just do the same thing the Targaryens do where they burn their dead in the like the Valyrian fashion. They have this whole ceremony set up so that they drop the casket, which I was unsure what it was made of. At first I thought it was driftwood, but then that thing sank like a stone. And if that was stone that they carved that the casket out of, that is some beautiful work right there. But it, I think it was stone, but supposed to look like driftwood. The whole thing where they're they're pulling the rope so that it will fall into the water. That was that was something else. Oh, let's see here. So we got pictures. Egg Egg Six is posting them in the Slack. Yeah, that's that's Dreamfire up in the back there. Sunfire. Sunfire is the one with the huge horns right in the front. I'll, I'll I think I'll pull these up in a little bit. Really, really good speech out of him too. But I think the it was terrible, and you felt for Lena. But also, this was played for a lot of comedy, which I didn't see coming from Lena's funeral. Because as this is all happening, Mend is clearly singling out the people he's talking about during his speech as he stares at them, and everyone at the funeral notices, and they all turn to look, and then they look at the next person. They're like, "Boy, Vanon really chose violence today. He is he is not having." a he is not having a calm funeral he's gonna tell everyone what he thinks of them it was like it was like the festivus of funerals i've never seen anything like it he was going petty and he was going after every single person he had a problem with at that funeral i got the speech down it's also in high valyrian which i thought was cool i wasn't sure if the valarians all spoke high valyrian but apparently they do yes yeah, so it was a little iron island like yeah could have been lined with lead that's true so here we go this is what he said in high valyrian we join today at the seat of the sea to commit Lady Lena of House Valarian to the eternal waters. The dominion of the Merling King, that was really surprising to me. I was wondering if that was going to come up, but it totally did. Where he will guard her for all the days to come as she sets to sea for her final voyage. Lady Lena leaves two true-born daughters on the shore. Boy, was that one. <laughs> that one was just like to start staring at Rhaenyra when that one happens. Though their mother will not return from her from her voyage, they will all remain bound together in blood. Salt courses through Valarian blood. Ours runs thick. Ours runs true. This entire time staring straight at Jason Luke as he's saying this. And ours must never thin. My gentle niece, may the winds be as strong as your back, your seas as calm as your spirit, and your nets be as full as your heart. From the sea we came, to the sea we shall return. Nice speech. Really veered off the side there. He also stared at Damon during parts of this. Clearly Damon letting everyone everyone at the funeral know that apparently a lot of the Valarians are unhappy with how Jason and Luke are, I guess, masquerading as Valarians at this point. Of course, this is really not the venue to do it. And it's also, it really has nothing to do with Lena's death. Whether or not Lena's dead, the, one of those kids is in, is inheriting the, or is supposed to inherit High Tide. So bad form, Damon, on that one. Eleanor Johnson asks, why did Damon laugh? He laughed at the, the pure blood part that obviously he just came back to Westeros and he's like, those aren't Lenor's kids. Yeah, Damon was laughing at the implication from Vayman. He's like, wow, this guy's really taken this moment to take a shot at these two little kids. Okay. But that ended up being a thing that ran throughout the episode that quite clearly, as I was talking about, Corlys is really pushing for the, the two Strongs to be his heirs, to be the heirs of House Valarian, even though everyone else realizes that they are totally not Valarian and they're really unhappy about it. That the, uh, the rest of the island, the rest of the family does not want to swear fealty to a couple of uh, bastard kids. 
You, you also felt for Rhaenyra. It was, why Why are you choosing this time to call me out, Vaemon? Like, calm down, man. You also saw, Aemon was, I, mean, I couldn't really tell where Aemon was. He was just sort of there. Helena, I'm not even sure if she knew what was going on, which is kind of normal. I did notice one thing, that while the whole funeral is going on, Rhaenyra really grasps onto Jason Luke and is holding them. They're crying. They're upset about what's going on. Jace is realizing what Vaemon is saying. And, you know, she's offering them comfort. And then you pan over to the high towers. And Allison's just sort of sitting there going like, yep, can we get this over with? Unclear if she is thinking about what her kids are feeling, if they've ever been to a funeral before, that kind of thing. Rainey's absolutely looked like she was about to fall apart right there. That was heartbreaking. Let's see here. It was also cool to see the the underwater caskets, all of them. It, as you sank down, you could see them in the background. They were all just kind of scattered there. It was like a weird underwater Stark crypts. And that's something that from the books you don't really get too much. There's really a feeling that only like the Targaryens and the Starks and the Lannisters have their own weird burial practices that have to do with their culture. And I guess the Ironborn. But here they took a real shot to kind of pull apart the Valarians from the Targaryens and emphasize their relationship to the sea, that they really do have like this almost ironborn connection to it. The idea that, uh, you know, that they, they came from the sea and they will return from it, that they do not consider themselves the children of fire, even though they do have Targaryen blood in them. This will, this obviously comes up later in the episode. Rhaenyra and Daemon make this clear when they're talking about their, their plan. But yeah, the Valarians really are separate. I That's one thing I've really loved about this show so far, is that they haven't just made them the teal Targans, I guess. You know, the same family, but just wearing different colors. It really, really set them apart. Oh yeah, thank you, Stephen Stark, by the way. Hit that like button if you could. We got 113 likes, 200 people, 250 people watching. Also, I'm betting a lot of you subscribed in the last couple of weeks. Just hit 35,000 subscribers kind of out of nowhere off my last few videos, so welcome everybody. So if we get to 150 likes, I will put on a silly hat. We get to 200 different silly hat going on. At 175, somebody's getting a free shirt from my Threadless shop. Yeah, the Teal Garians. It was, it, was, it was good to really see that they were clearly still Valyrian. The funeral rites were being read out in High Valyrian, but they were very, very different from the Targaryen funeral that we saw for Emma Aaron. I mean, they have dragons, they have sea smoke, they have melees. They could definitely do the same thing if they want to, but they haven't really made that a core part of their identity. The Valarians are still, they still belong to the sea. Yeah, 35,000 subscribers. That was, that is quite a lot. Really, people really like those last two videos, I guess. I'll pull up the, uh, the dragon stuff in a second. So... So, like I said earlier, there's a whole bunch of dragons there. I, I slowed it down and I looked at each one of them and I was trying to... Oh! Silly hat time. I guess we just blew by that one. That was really fast. There you go, the turtle silly hat. So, we turn back and we see sort of the outdoor courtyard that ends up being kind of the centerpiece of a lot of the episode. A lot of action here comes here. Okay, not action, but tension. Tension happens here. And then you see all the dragons coming down, except for one. Vagar is missing. From the books, we learn that as, I guess, the ship went from Pentos all the way back to Driftmark for Lena's funeral, Vagar just kind of followed behind. Nobody was riding her. She, she just kind of, she just kind of went her way there. And there were, yes. So you could clearly see Caraxes, mainly Cyrax. Sea Smoke was there. And then obviously Sunfire and Dreamfire. You can confirm it at the end of the episode. You see the ones that are flying back, basically. You see Vagar 
And then you see two other dragons. Which two dragons would that be going back to King's Landing? Well, it's obviously going to be Helena's Dreamfire and Aegon's Sunfire. They're pretty big also. Sunfire and Dreamfire are not small. All right, let's see if we can pull these up. Hang on a second. I'm going to go... I'm just going to download these quickly from Slack. I didn't have a chance to take screenshots, unfortunately. All right, so put these in this folder. All right, so let's open this up. We're going to take a look at these screenshots real fast. Oops. Hang on a second. All right, here we go. So you can see here on the right-hand side of the screen, the gold one with the big horns, that's going to be Sunfire. I, I'm pretty sure that's Sunfire. Well, it's either Sunfire or Cyrax, but the color looks like Sunfire to me. We see, we don't get really close-ups on the rest of these dragons. They're just sort of there. Another big tannish golden, golden dragon back there. Sea Smoke, I'm pretty sure, or that might be Dreamfire up there. I'm not really sure. If this is the high towers arriving, then it would be Dreamfire on the left and sunfire on the right and maybe that's cyrax yeah dreamfire is a full-grown dragon sunfire is pretty big too nowhere near the size of like vagar or vermithor or silverwing but still pretty big dragons and let's check oh thank you egg six by the way for grabbing these and putting these in the slack okay let me see if i can find the other one and you can see up in the sky you can see caraxes weird leg things coming off of him you see two people coming in on the dragon on the right so that must be sunfire well maybe i don't know Way up in the sky, there's another dragon up there. Pretty sure that one's sea smoke. Kind of hard to tell. Yeah, we didn't really zoom in enough to really see what was going on, but you know, we did our best. Let me move this stuff back. I'm pretty sure that was Dreamfire up in the top right. I think I thought we were seeing the high towers arriving, which would make it probably Sunfire with Aegon and Aemond, and then you would have Dreamfire with Helena. Dreamfire, by the way, the dragon that's responsible for the most eggs and the most hatchlings that we see. Quite a lot of eggs laid by Dreamfire. There's also been suggestions that Danny's dragons are all Dreamfires, which would make a lot of sense. There's we saw a dragon in the pit during episode six and it kind of oh i'm sorry i have to give away a shirt jesus you guys went fast all right we're gonna do nightbot here in a second the dragon that aemond approached in the pit looked a lot like drogon and at first people thought it was this kind of laziness you know that the idea that they just reused the model from game of thrones and made it look like drogon and Rhaegal and viserion but if it's actually dreamfire and dreamfire is the mother of all those dragons it would actually make a lot of sense yes no book spoilers i'm not gonna do anything in the books. If you want to look up yourself, you can. All right, so let's go ahead and do a giveaway from my Threadless shop at joemagician.threadless.com. Do keyword Drogon. Type Drogon in the chat if you want to go ahead and win yourself free t-shirt from my Threadless shop. It was really cool seeing all of them. Obviously, we'll see them more of the dragons in close detail and Sanrixian will lose her mind. I am sure that we're going to see close-ups and everything we get higher res footage people are gonna kind of figure out exactly which dragon is which i'm pretty sure it was dreamfire and sunfire landing cyrax beneath them but you never know i, th I thought it was a kind of a funny scene because it was sort of like like a royal funeral kind of thing where all the rich people show up in like their bmws and stuff like that <laughs> that was kind of the feeling i got and like they were just parking their dragons and then going inside that kind of thing according to the house dragon index sunfire Dreamfire Moondancer are the remaining dragons. Given we've seen Sunfire and Dreamfire, we're going to see Moondancer later. Yeah, we should. Moondancer, if she was there, I didn't see her. Doesn't mean she didn't. I'm sure I'm going to be corrected on that one at some point. Did my best, but couldn't see him. So we'll, we'll roll the, the giveaway at 1045. Sounds good.
The, the problem with a lot of the other dragons is they're very small at this point, and most of them can't really bear riders. If Moondancer can, it's just Bailey. It's just barely. We know Vermax can't, Airax definitely can't. They're all new hatchlings, so that's kind of how it went. Yeah, it was kind of like, like Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket or something. All their all their private jets coming in and stuff like that. That was that was definitely the vibe with all the dragons. I thought it was interesting though that they didn't really show us any of the riders and their dragons. It's they were all really zoomed out. You couldn't really tell who they were. No moon dancer according to San Rixian. I didn't see it at all. I don't even think she could be ridden at this point. It's quite a few years away. No sparks when Vagar landed. Vagar did a lot of things. So then we go to the outdoor wake party thing. Okay, so this is the part that really threw me, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one. Oh, other silly hat time. You guys are crushing it on the likes. Thank you so much. I don't know what to do for the next one, but you know, if you enjoy the channel, you enjoy the discussion, hit the like button, subscribe. We got another silly hat. I don't have any more silly hats at this point. It's just this one. So yeah, the, the thing that confused me, and for people that were watching a lot of pre-production, it probably confused you too. All the footage from the wake outdoor party thing in order to uh, until later is all shot in bright sunlight but they uh, all the silly hats just stepped on top of each other just one after another going to the ceiling going to the ceiling the thing that 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 really threw me is they just darkened the footage to make it look like they were going into twilight and then they were going into night but there were way too many visual artifacts that just kind of let you know that it was still bright out that the actors and it was it was really just like a very dark color grade they dropped on top of it and it, i don't know about anybody else it kind of bothered me a little bit like i was i wasn't super happy about it like there's that one point where aemon looks up into the sky and you hear vagar and she's roaring in the clouds but he shields his eyes but it's but visually it's and he like squints but it's supposed to be nighttime or twilight at that point and you could sort of see like through their hair, through their wigs, the light colored wigs, you could see the light coming through, which wouldn't happen if it was actually dark. Lots of shadows and stuff like that. And everything was still kind of shiny. They didn't like go in and remove any of that. And yeah, it was especially glaring when like Rhaenyra said, go to bed kids. And then Viserys is like, I'm going to bed. I'm like, it's still bright out. What are you guys doing? <laughs> it still looks like day. It was kind of like you're just wearing sunglasses. Um, they did do a lot of visual effects, like putting in the stars and the moon and stuff like that, trying to make it look like it was just a really bright night. But I, I yeah, I, it didn't convince me and I didn't think it was very good. It, it wasn't, it's not just, the, okay, I don't mind that it was a dark episode. It, it just kept throwing me because I was, my brain just kept going, it's daytime. They're in daytime. It's, it's just weirdly dark for some reason that that's my whole darkness camp complaint there are some things that were hard to see like with vagar and aemond and a little bit of the sex scene but otherwise it was just like i just couldn't i just couldn't turn off my brain going like they're in they're in bright daylight they're in bright daylight like you can see the sun you can see the hair the the light through their hair and stuff like that and i don't know it was just kind of it was bothersome to me which was strange because i didn't really have a problem with many of the other like visual shots throughout the season so far like the cgi has been awesome i mean everything's been darkly color graded with yellows and stuff like that but not hard to see it was just like atmospheric this was like the the first one where i was like okay this isn't very good <laughs> this is this is not great oh super chat here from lafrenic 5a i think that's australian dollars thank you so much for the super chat this episode and the last one 
We need to stop thinking Miguel as just a bow director. Yes, this one was directed by Miguel Sapochnik himself. He really did prove himself. He did a great job filming the, the little interactions and creating good pacing and the drama between two characters. I mean, they did have a little battle sequence, but not, not no battle of the bastards. Well, actually, there kind of was the battle of the bastards. Helena is bug girl. Yeah, I thought he did. I thought Miguel did really good this episode. I mean, it's not his fault. There is a, a very dark color grade and I didn't even really understand it at times. For most of the episode, it did not have to be at night. They could have just been like, skip forward now into nighttime. They could have done most of the, the wake scene while it was, while it was still the daylight it obviously was. Also super chat from Robert Daniel Pickard, $5. Thank you so much. The hat intensifies, been enjoying catching up with your videos. You're not the only one. I've gotten so many comments on these old videos that I haven't thought about in years. Like people were going crazy for the Brandon Stark, his secret bastards one. That one has gotten like tons of tons of views on it lots of people going back and watching the house strong ones the waymar royce one has gotten a lot of it's been kind of funny because i can see comments as they come in like in the youtube app it just sort of it, it does them sequentially so when i release a new video they're kind of like oh, okay so most of these are about laris 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 and i'm like brandon stark's bastards what or watching old streams and stuff like that apparently some people had a real <laughs> A real Joe Magician-y week watching like what must have been like a hundred hours of me talking. Bless your hearts for doing it. Especially on those old videos where the, the audio is no good. <laughs> oh, that's right. The child actor thing. Oh, okay. Just drop that. Don't worry about it. Nothing happened. <laughs> we're done with, well, we're, okay. We're not done with Lamar. We're done with that video though. Yeah, that, that's the end of my, my gripe over the, the darkness. It was just that it wasn't a good effect. I don't care that it was dark. It just didn't look very good. So the one thing that really stands out about the whole wake scene, I guess is what we're calling, I'm just going to call it the, like the lane awake or whatever, is that nobody wants to talk to Rhaenyra. She is getting glares from everybody that's there. Nobody's approaching her. She's standing on her own with, with Jason Luke. Oh no, with, with just Jace, because Corley says basically kidnapped Luke. And he's like, my boy, you're going to be Lord of the Tides one day. Glares from everybody. It was, it was awkward. It felt a lot like the episode three scene where Rhaenyra walks into the tent and nobody wants to talk to her, even though she's heir. Clearly the whole going to Dragonstone to try to alleviate the, the whole embarrassment thing for her did not work. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to roll this thing. Let's go ahead and roll the giveaway winner. Al F. Congratulations. Al F. Send me a, you can DM me on Twitter, the Joe magician, or you can email me at askjoemagician.com. I'll send you a code and you can pick up a free shirt from my Threadless shop. Thanks everybody for slamming the like button on that one. Yeah. It was one of the early episodes that they filmed parts. Yeah. Parts of it really didn't need to be in darkness, but that's okay. Oh, speaking of my, the auto brightness on it was screwing with the camera and Rhaenyra is is feeling the tension and so are Jace and Luke they're obviously very self-conscious of how Vayman just spent like 10 minutes calling them out Jace in particular he's upset um Rhaenyra has this very sweet moment where she's like you know she's go talk to Rena and Bela they just lost their mother like they're having a hard time they'll appreciate it and Jace just sort of fires back he's like they're not the only ones who have who are sad right now and then he's like why oh no and Jace Rhaenyra's like, oh no, 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 don't say it. He's like, what about my father? She's like, shh, not your father. That didn't happen. Nothing to be sad about. Everything's fine, Jace. Your dad did not just die in a fire, but clearly Jace doesn't believe her. He knows the truth at this point. I have an equal claim to sympathy. He says something and then Lord Lionel and Sir Harwin, something about the fire. Yeah. 
poor little guy. He's, he is feeling the loss of Harwin. He would have anyway, because of their close relationship as his live-in bodyguard or wherever the hell he is. But Rhaenyra tells him, you know, the Valarians are akin and the Strongs are not. And then it goes like, look at me. Do you understand? And Jace is understandably mad that Rhaenyra is telling him to deny the connection he feels with Harwin, the, to essentially push down the, uh, the sadness she's feeling and the anger at Harwin's death, whatever actually happened there, she's not really sure. She's still sort of thinking about it. This entire time, Kristen and Allison are just basically <laughs> in sync, glaring at Rhaenyra, making her feel real awkward for it. Rhaenys does kind of the same thing. Rhaenyra finds her way over to the bar, I guess, and grabs herself a drink. Rhaenys walks up, glares at her, turns around, and leaves. So nobody is happy to see Rhaenyra, nothing at all. And Dan but the there is one person that Rhaenyra is happy to see, and she kind of spends the entire like first half of the episode just kind of like doing one of these, like, hey Damon, hey, hey Damon, do you see me? It's me, Rhaenyra. Do you see me? I'm over here. We haven't seen each other for 10 years. 300 likes I wear both silly ads at the same time. You got it, Earthruster. You guys slam the button up the 300 likes. I will attempt to wear these these two hats. I don't know how it's going to go. And you kind of feel for Rhaenyra in a sense, you know, that it is, Jace isn't the only one upset at Harwin's loss. Rhaenyra is really feeling distraught at this point. And she sort of, throughout the rest of the episode, sort of latches onto Damon as the guy that will fix all the problems. You know, he's kind of the dragon that got away, I guess, in a sense. He really wants, she really wants him. She, it's, it's a weird, it's like a fiery rebound that kind of both of them are on. Both of their lovers, well, in Damon's case, his wife, Rhaenyra's pseudo-husband, both just died in terrible fires. And, you know, they're both kind of emotionally spinning. And Damon is is really all over the place in this one. I was trying to track what he was doing. At times, he seemed totally indifferent. Other times, he almost seemed like the Joker. And then other times, he actually did look genuinely sad and upset at what was happening. Looking forward to see Jace, Luke, and the girls hang out. Oh, they hang out. Damon, yeah, Damon fixes no problems. Damon is chaotic. He will not fix anything in Nero's life, but it's quite clear that in her vulnerable emotional state and seeing her uncle after so many years has, and kind of the, 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 the whole thing with the almost sex that she instead threw at Kristen has really been on her mind ever since she heard Harwin died. But yeah, Damon can't fix a damn thing. And Rhaenyra's silly to think it, but she's not really thinking with her head at this point. She's thinking with her heart or something else, I guess. Oh, we'll get to the plan, Donnie. Don't you worry. We're going to get to the plan. <laughs> the whole Lanor swap plan. I, I, so, oh, hang on. My mouse is about to die. One second. Need to plug that baby in. I don't think Damon knew what to feel. On some level, he was annoyed at, Lena, but he did say that they were happy enough together. It was, it clearly was nowhere near the relationship he had with Rhea Royce. They fought about things, but you know, they're a married couple. They're not every day is going to be the best one. I would think that, yeah, Damon probably was genuinely upset at how Lena died. And we saw that in the aftermath when he's walking on the roof, he's talking to his daughters, that kind of thing. So yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of takes after this episode that are sort of like, oh my God, finally Damon and Rhaenyra got together. This is like the OTP. They're finally doing it. And I sort of read it very differently. And I was like, oh no, they have both made a mistake. They are both reeling emotionally, no idea what they're doing and just kind of latch onto each other with nobody else giving them anything. Oh, hey, a disputed lands. By the way, did you guys know disputed lands released a video today? 
Yeah. Amanda released a video. We were chatting about it and she said, which I thought was, I thought was interesting. So many people have gone back to watch my old house strong video. That one actually links to her channel because we did that as a collaboration. She did the Duncan, the strong thing, by the way, she came up with that one, a plus, and it links to hers. And she just got flooded with comments of people telling her that she needs to make more stuff that they miss her content. And I'm one of them. And apparently you guys all peer pressured the sputed lands into uploading again. So if somebody could grab the link for that and throw it in there, really great to see her back making stuff. So Viserys is also kind of awkwardly sitting here. He wants to talk to Damon. He wants to talk to Rhaenyra. Doesn't really know what to do. He just kind of sits in the middle glaring at everybody. Again, this is a weird moment because it really feels like all the characters are together, but totally alone. A super chat from TJD18. This is kind of a book spoiler. It's it's a show spoiler because this doesn't happen in the books. Would it be would be cool if Lena somehow to part Viserys running to King's Landing later in the, in the book timeline? I don't know what they're going to do with Lenor. Uh, thank you for the super chat. I, I, have no, I have no idea. I don't know what they're doing with them. Two years since the Feud Lands made a video. I don't think it's has it been two years? I don't know. A very short video too, only about five, six minutes or something like that. And then we got to the part that really, really got me, got my mind going. This is the part with the Princess Helena. So, so everybody after last week, when Helena said the thing about how Aemon will have to lose an eye was to gain a dragon. We're going to talk about it. This obviously came true in this episode, but it's, it's sort of set the precedent that you have to listen to everything Helena says, that this is not nonsense coming out of her mouth, that she's a dragon dreamer, that like Viserys before her, maybe like Danis the Dreamer, maybe like Aegon the Conqueror, that kind of person, that she is seeing the future, that the words that sound like nonsense are actually prophetic statements and future hints for where the show is going. I'm gonna make a video about this. I have the script basically ready to go. Gonna try and make it tomorrow, if not Tuesday. It is... Everything she, and the funny thing is that the show, the show kind of clearly thought that they snuck that one under the rug, that nobody was going to notice the crazy thing about, about Helena predicting the future. So she's sort of down on the ground wearing her, wearing her dress and she's playing with shells and, and a spider or something like that. And you can sort of hear that she's repeating this, this one phrase over and over and over again. You see Aegon and Aemond off to the side, just sort of both looking at her going like, what are you doing? And that's more or less how everyone tra treats Helena. But I, I wrote down what she said and it is obviously prophetic. This is extremely prophetic. People that, I mean, at this point, it's barely even a spoiler that obviously there's going to be a conflict between the two sides. And so here's what she says. Helena says, and turns loom full of green, full of black dragons, banners, weaving dragons of thread hand turns loom. And then she starts it over again. And she says the same thing. So clearly this is a reference to the greens. They name drop them explicitly in this episode. The greens are the high tower side. So they're weaving banners where weaving dragons of thread into banners. So there's going to something about the dragons is going to be a thing that they're weaving green and black banners and that the hand turns the loom. So this is a poetic way of talking about how the sides for war are starting to form and maybe literally like today, it's quite possible that Helene is 
repeating it over and over again because she didn't do this in the last episode In the last episode all of her lines were different she just sort of drops randomly that aemon's gonna have to lose an eye to get a dragon this is something that has really stuck into her head and she is thinking about it hard and it's kind of like it's almost like incapacitated her in a way which i think is supposed to tell you that what she's seeing is something that's deeply upsetting her but nobody else notices she's just the weird little girl she's playing with the spider she's playing with the shell whatever no big deal i'm definitely going to do a full video about this one yeah the hand weaving the loom yep they're they're doing a very house of the undying style of prophetic stuff coming out of helena where if you compare what she said in the last episode to this one she didn't say exactly what happens but you can see how what she said became true but not the details so uh, yeah pa patch facing it it's definitely a comparison from the books you can talk you can talk about i think i'm not sure if people it's i actually thought of it more like the ghost of high heart uh, because helene is actually aware of what's going on around her she's not like patch face where it seems like what he's saying is totally random and kind of disconnected from reality like in the last episode helena note wa watches aemon come in comes in sees him sin she's the king's guard before anyone says anything she just goes he did it again so it's not like patch face where there's she has like two feet out the door it's she knows what's going on helena helena seems to see the very near future i mean we'll see about that one i am not sure it's just the near future no hang on a second i have to edit this thing i put too many spoilers in it i'm sorry everybody that i spoiled let me let me go ahead and, and crop that out. I forgot that some people don't watch the episode right away. My bad. That was bad of me. Sorry, guys. Sorry, everyone. 350 people watching. Hello. Yeah, as Centertian said, hit the, hit the like button of the 300 and we're going to go ahead and put on a silly hat. Let's, let's grab a few from YouTube because, oh, wow, people wrote a lot of things. Anything we haven't talked about so far. Uh, survival. Sea, everyone wants to talk about Sea Smoke. I didn't slide X... ZTV. They don't notice Rhaenyra's earrings were blue and red like fire and ice. I didn't, but that's a good call. Let's talk about the ending. The barbecued, subvert expectations. Yep. So this is all Lainor stuff. DJ on YouTube asked what was Helena saying? Sounded like gibberish. Just went over that one. But yeah, she's saying she's talking about the dance of the dragons that's coming. I checked Patreon real fast. I put up a thing saying people could put stuff there and I'll answer it. I often forget to put that in there. But yeah, if you guys see anything coming up and and you're a patron, just Drop me a message and I'll always answer it. Egg six says, do you think Helena doesn't like anyone touching her? Just Allison. I think we're going to find out that Helena is going to be sort of like a, I'm, I'm not sure what the right word is. It's going to be like brand during season eight. <clears throat> whoa, whoa, whoa. Need some water. I think that Helena is going to be like in season eight where Bran had a lot of reactions to characters the first time he saw him, he saw them, particularly Daenerys. As soon as he saw Daenerys, he he glared at her and he did not look happy. I think they're going to do the same thing with Helena to foreshadow what happens between her and that character, but also their general future. It seems like Helena has no love for her brothers, doesn't really seem to like Alicent very much. She actually, if you remember from episode four, when Alicent is having trouble getting a baby to be quiet and it won't stop crying, especially when they're in front of a window. Book readers will understand that reference that Helena just cried the whole time. So yeah, that one is, that one's going to come up. But yeah. Expect a full video about Helena and what she's saying here and how it connects and the, the spider in the shell and what she does to it. Whole thing was fascinating. I am all in. It's great when the show just gives me more dragon dream content to talk about. Love to see Le Helena interact with Laris. 
I can't wait for that one too. So the the conversation that's happening on behind behind this is once again another entry into Aegon sucks as a person. They're really beating that drum really hard. He's just kind of glaring at her and just going like, I can't believe I have to marry her. Apparently that marriage has been set up. This is how they're telling us. He says they have nothing in common, calls her an idiot, but Aemon corrects him. Well, okay, so Aemon doesn't exactly disagree with Aegon's assessment of Helena. That, you know, he doesn't understand her. They have nothing in common. She sort of talks nonsense. But Eamon has a very different take on it. And he says that he would do his duty and marry Helena if he was ordered to. Because, you know, it would strengthen the family. It's his duty to the to the Targaryen family to continue the line, to increase their power. Very, very Robert and Stannis-like. That's what I got from that conversation. I was like, whoa! I didn't know we were going to get little Stannis here. I guess... I guess Aemond is like Stannis with a dragon, what it would be like. Very serious Aemond throughout this whole thing. But then Aegon grabs another drink. He gets really, really drunk. He says that he does have something in common with Helena. They both fancy creatures with long legs and then goes after a serving woman. So yeah, Aegon continues to suck out loud. They're doing it on purpose. He's not displaying any characteristics that would make him... A good ruler at worst he's reminding you of robert Barath or i guess at best reminding you of robert baratheon at his worst very much just sort of seems like something that's totally disinterested in his future he is really not going to make a good ruler if he ever becomes one but of course it's been set up that they're going to push him to the throne and it's one of those things that i think that works really well in terms of trying to separate the greens and their arguments for aegon and how none of it really has anything to do with him as a person. Otto thinks he's a dipshit. Alicent thinks he's an asshole. Aemon doesn't like him at all. Helena basically ignores him. The only claim that he has to the... The only reason they're pushing him forward is because of his birth order. Actually, I think Aemon this episode does quite a lot to sort of make the case that, hey, I think I should be king instead of my brother. He tattles on him a bunch of times. He grabs Vagar, which is... You know, gives him the greatest, the biggest and most badass dragon in the world at the time. Meaning that, you know, if he ever fought Aegon, he could probably win. Especially after they grow up. Yeah, it's a good call, Kenny Cross. If anything disappointed me this episode, it was a casual revelation of Aegon's betrothal to Helena. After the 100% against those Targ perversions. Yeah, I talked about that in my review a while back. Where Otto was totally 100% on board with marrying Aegon to Rhaenyra in order to make sure there was no problem with like the succession. And it was really strange how the High Towers in particular and Otto was totally willing to overlook the exceptionalism and the, the sibling incest and stuff like that. But at a, at a drop of a hat, just to spurn when Alicent has no problem making sure that her two kids end up married and that she's forcing them to do it. It ends up being a running theme for Alicent at this point that, you know, there's not a lot she's not going to do. She has descended into the ugly war, as it were. She's doing things that are just for pursuits of power, and she's starting to lose a lot of any sort of... What's the right word for it? She's starting to lose her sense of like morality and her sense of rightness and the law and justice. She's, she's just doing what helps. And that's kind of only what she wants. Comes up a little bit. But let's skip ahead here. There is a scene with Jace and Reyna and Bela. Jace doesn't know what to say. He just kind of stands over there sadly, drops his head, his hair's over his eyes like mine was when I was an 18 year old. Hands up, by the way, if you had that emo little boy haircut at some, boy, some point in your life, I sure as shit did. My hair falls perfectly to do that, <laughs> to do that one. It was a very little sweet moment. No, you can see that Jace is doing what's expected of him. 
He's trying to be nice to his cousins. He's trying to offer support, even though he's hurting on the inside. And I think it speaks well of Jace as a character and for his, yeah, that's right, San Rexian, for compassion, that he has compassion for Reyna and Bela and none of the high towers do. Well, Helena's doing her own thing with the shell and the spider, so you can't can't really hold that against her. But uh, Aegon and Aemon have nothing for them. Absolutely nothing. Oh, my old Facebook pics are a disaster. <laughs> there is this weird moment though, and I really didn't know what to make of this. And you guys in the chat tell me if you know what if you know what the hell is going on there. So Aemon walks up and it's while Jace is standing in front of Reyna and Bela and the two of them face each other, and Eamon looks like he wants to say something, but stops. And he sort of gives this, like, little nod and, uh, like, a half-frowny face and then walks away. Jace doesn't know what to make of it. I don't know what to make of it. It's a really strange moment where he's showing, like, almost, like, empathy and sympathy, which completely he loses in about 20 minutes. Maybe it's just, kind of like, his idea that he's so committed to... His duty that he knows he's supposed to be nice here, that he's supposed to like show something for the kids that just lost their mom, but it doesn't look like he doesn't go through with it. He he gives it like his best shot. He's like, what's it like being a human? Didn't like it. I'm out of here. Something like that. Laris is in love with Allison. Yes, definitely. Oh, that was something I forgot to mention. Oh, hang on. Do I have it in here? Where do I mention Laris? I miss, I skipped over Laris a little bit. So after the spider is killed, we're going to go back to this a little bit. The character, the camera then cuts to Laris and he is essentially just doing one of these. He's just smiling like a creep straight at Allison. Not really sure what he's doing. Kristen doesn't know what he's doing. He actually goes over like a protective boyfriend. He's like, my lady, Lord Strong has been staring at you this entire time. And the camera pans over and he's still going, hey, me Laris. How you doing? Really funny out of Kristen. Not really sure what Laris is up to. Well, I have an idea. We're going to, we're going to save that one for the video, but Allison tries to brush it off. Like, oh, he's just the Lord of new, the new Lord of Harrenhal. That's why he's so happy. That's why he's staring at me. That is not an answer to that question. He looks pretty happy the whole time. He's got a smile on his face for some reason at this wake. Yeah, we're, we'll get to that one later. We'll get to that one in a video. It was, they're doing a lot of interesting things with Laris. Green Seary things. I think that that was actually quite a hint to kind of what he thinks about what's going on. Nobody clip me trying to look like Laris. Nobody do it. Absolutely not, Soupy says. No, 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 no. Nobody go back and, cl and clip that. Houston Richard from Super Chat $2. Want forgiveness for my Laris sins? No. No, 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 no. Hating Laris is a key part of liking Laris. Okay? If you're the kind of person that likes Laris as a character is because you also hate him. It is a self-loathing fan fandom and you have to embrace it. But yes, thank you, Sanri, for the for the two dollars. Oh, this is going a little long. It's the only self-loathing fandom that exists in House of the Dragon. Have to hate him and hate yourself a little bit for it. That's one of the things I thought was really funny about the reactions to my Laris videos is that is that a lot of people are like, wait, he's a piece of shit. He's evil. Why do you like him? I'm like, that's he's that's why I just, yeah, I just scolded a couple hundred people across the world about a house of the dragon fandom. That's what I just did. So let, let's skip ahead here. There's a lot going on. We, we talked about Corliss and Luke already. Rhaenys and Rhaenyra. Yeah, that one already happened. Aegon's getting hammered. You hear the dragon roaring overhead. This is letting you know that Vagar's in the vicinity. Wow, a lot of people just stopped watching at that one. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Lanor does something really weird where he just kind of walks out into the waves and just kind of sits there crying in it. 
you can feel the emotion at the loss of Lena. This isn't really something they've established too much in the in the show. Lena and Lenor are very, very close, but you haven't really seen it. It hasn't really been on the screen too much. But here, this is how they're showing it. Lenor is devastated at the loss of his sister. Implication is that maybe he's going to try and drown himself. Suicide has been a pretty big part of the show so far. Kristen tried to do it. Lena killed herself. Lenor's thinking about it. There's a really awkward moment where Corley oh, walks up to Carl. Corey shoves him in the shoulder and says, go get your, go, go retrieve your patron, which was, it's a serious moment and everyone just kind of glances at at Corlys and Vaiman grabs his shoulder and goes, Corlys, no, or something like that. But I thought it was it was kind of written for comedy because nobody thinks about Rhaenyra. Nobody turns to Rhaenyra and says, go get your husband. They're like, absolutely not. We're going to Carl Corey. This is the guy that has the, the ability to go get Lanor. So Carl goes off to go get him. So next comes the conversation between Viserys and Damon. Viserys has been awkwardly looking at Damon this whole time, and he finally gets up. He can walk at this point, which was, I wasn't sure he was going to be able to. Talks to her, talks to Damon and says, your girls are the very image of their mother comfort and anguish as i well remember the gods can be cruel and damon who's in kind of a trollish shithead move says back seems they've been especially cruel to you which is a not nice thing to say back but it's also kind of a brotherly thing you know they have this relationship where they kind of they rib each other it's it's kind of a high tide low tide kind of thing you know Sometimes they're fighting, sometimes they're not, and Viserys instead just kind of laughs at it. Damn McKay, one YouTuber liked your last video so much he made the exact same video? Really? Which which YouTuber made my video? I would like to see that. I'm going to be unhappy if someone actually just ripped it off. Viserys makes the case that, you know, it's been 10 years, things can blow over, come back to King's Landing, come back home. Obviously, he's recognizing that Damon's hurting, and he's trying to offer him a place back at court, a place back in his life. And Damon refuses him, saying, you know, Pentos is my home and that of my children. Viserys says, Damon, let the years pass. You have a place in my court if you need anything. And then Damon just kind of goes, I need nothing. And it's the same sort of thing that happened in the Stepstones, where Damon read the the letter from Viserys that, that he was sending help, and Damon basically tries to commit suicide on the on Bloodstone by charging in and doing that crazy plan to beat Kragos Crabfeeder. And he does the same sort of thing here. He looks to be on the verge of tears. This is the first moment that Damon is having a lot of trouble dealing with his emotions at the moment. He's kind of seesawing all over the place. Somebody offering him genuine emotional support and trying to be the the brother to him that Viserys hasn't been in a long time. Actually, this causes him pain. To know you're the guy that made those last two videos? Yes, I'm the one that came up with and made the videos about the Laris theory. The Laris Greenseer thing. You can check them out on the channel after the stream, though. They're good. I think. At least one of them's pretty good. And you can tell that Damon's pretty hurt. As he walks away, Otto stops him and says, You know, I'm sorry for your loss, my prince. And... Damon just sort of stops, glares at him, and says, no matter how fat a leech grows, it always wants for another meal, and there's storms off again. And at this point, Rhaenyra kind of re-enters the story, sees Damon goes away, and goes like, oh, hey, Damon's upset. Time to go after him. And that's what she does. After she says her sends her kids to bed, again, I had the problem with it where I was just like, it's, it's, it's not nighttime, Rhaenyra. Like, I know that's what the line says, and... But the, the effect isn't very good. It's clearly not nighttime. Yeah, they need a lot of therapy. There's also a really, really weird moment where Viserys says he's going to bed too. And 
Harold Westerling, he asks about who's going to take the night's watch, if he's going to watch over Allison for the night. Viserys says no, and Kristen instead gets stuck with the job, and he looks pissed about it. It didn't really go anywhere. I wasn't really sure what that moment was about. If anybody knows why that was included and what that means, you know, throw it out there. It doesn't, I, I didn't get it. I watched it. I watched it back a few times. I guess it's the right time to mention it that I got. I am now getting the screeners from HBO, so I get to see the episode early. I watched that back like four times, and I was just like, "What? What is this interaction between Harold and Kristen? It's like, is it just that they're mad at each other? Is like, does Harold hate him? Is this like a crappy job or something? I don't. I don't really know what it was. Yeah, Rhaenyra sent her kids to bed early so that she could go go have some beach sex. Apparently, let's see here. So. Then we see Aegon passed out drunk. Otto basically hits him and drags him up the stairs. So Aegon continues to be a fuck up. Carl brings Lenor back from the ocean. It's it's a weird scene. Don't really know what's going on there. Yep, I am important enough to be able to see the episode early. So I won't, I'm not going to tell anybody any spoilers. I'll lose them anyway if I do. But yeah, they only send them out for the week ahead. So I have no idea what's in the, in the future episodes. I got this one though. Kristen and Harold aren't opposite sides. That must, be, it has to be that's all that is because I didn't really get it. They were just like, we need these two to have conflict, so we're going to make it over something stupid like who's taking the Night's Watch, trying to buy my opinion with access. Yeah, good luck with that one. If they're trying to buy my opinion with access, I wouldn't have spent 10 minutes talking about how I thought it was too dark and a bad thing. So good luck. Good luck with that opinion. Oh my God. Okay, hat stack time. 300 likes. There we go. So let's see here. Wearing <laughs> two ads. I guess this is what we're doing. I don't even know if we get to 400 likes. I don't know what's going to happen then. Things are just going to go insane. I need to pick this up because we are nowhere through this episode and I want to end it at midnight. So, okay. So then we go to inside and we see Rainey's and Corley's talking about, and they have an argument about Raina, how about Lena's death and Rainey's basically throws it at Corley's feet and, and says that this was your fault. Lena is dead for your ambition that your decision that you want to get this crown for my head is not about me and it's not about Lena. It's not about Lena or it's about you, Corlys, that your pride has led to this, led to the death of your daughter by marrying her off to a loveless marriage with Damon Targaryen, who cares not for anyone but himself just because you want to be closer to the royal family. And Corlys fires back, but like, and he goes like, yeah, but like, isn't the family name any the only thing that matters? And Rainey says, Deck, no, our daughter's more important. They also talk about the fact that obviously everybody knows that Rhaenyra's kids are Harwins. Nobody believes that they're Lanors. And the hat stack is ridiculous. This is just insane. I can't believe I'm doing this. And Corlys defends the decision and basically says that it's the the line from the it's actually two lines from the teasers he says what is this brief mor brief mortal life if not the pursuit of legacy and history does not remember blood or remembers names Corley's aware that none neither of those none of those kids are his blood and he's like I don't care I want the Valarian name on the iron throne it doesn't matter the costs don't matter he does not apologize for he he seems kind of sad about about his role in Lena's death, but he's not willing to give it up. He's going to push through no matter what. Why the turtle? Because it's supposed to be George R. R. Martin's hat. He wears a, a purple turtle on his thing. I couldn't find one, so I, I bought a green one. All right, so now we're getting to the sea, <laughs> sea shanty sex. I guess that's what we're going to call it. Damon and Rhaenyra are walking on the beach. They, they talked about how Rhaenyra mostly talks. She talks about how she made an effort to maintain appearances. 
didn't work. Absolutely not. Didn't work. How her marriage was a farce. How Harwin's dead. She actually reveals that her and Lenor did try to conceive. This is a difference from the books where it's nobody thinks they ever had sex or that they that they tried to have kids. It, it comes up again, but yes, Rhaenyra and Lenor did try. It just didn't work. She says there is no joy, then looks at Damon. She says that felt good to be desired, talking about Harwin. And I think that's kind of a lie here. I don't think her relationship to Harwin was based on being desired. I think it, I think it was clear from the last episode that quite clear that uh, her and Harwin did have an emotional connection that went beyond just being desired by a handsome dude that it did kind of, it did break her heart to send away Harwin. Although you could see how that kind of worked. It's kind of like a, a reverse Aegon situation with like Visenya and uh, Rhaenys where Harwin is, is clearly Nira's Rhaenys and Laenor is the Visenya in the relationship. One of them for love, one of them for duty. They go through it and we finally get to the answer of why Damon claims that he didn't go through with it with Rhaenyra, that she was too young, that he felt guilty. He says that you were a child and she's like, you abandoned me. He's like, yeah, because you were a kid. It wasn't, this wasn't a good thing to do. Even though he totally did offer to marry her to Viserys a little bit later. It's actually a lot of good dialogue, but the long and the short of it is they end up making out and then they find a weird boat thing and then go have sex in the darkness. I don't know. This was distinctly not as good as a, of a sex scene as the ones from episode four. There is a lot more tension in it. And there's, I guess it helps that you could see it with, with the one with Millie Alcock and, and Matt Smith. But this one felt a lot less like a lot, like a lot less like Rhaenyra and Damon previously, or even Rhaenyra and Kristen, like none of that passion was there. It was, I felt it was a lot more like the Allison and Viserys scene where she's just kind of staring at the ceiling because that ended up being kind of the look on Emma Darcy's face. There was some excitement to it and like sort of the satisfaction of doing this thing she's been thinking about for 10 years, but she was just kind of like looking over Damon's shoulder, just going, just like staring up at the, at the, at the boat thing. It felt a lot more like probably the sex she had with Lenor than the one she had with Harwin. And this is kind of what I was getting at earlier. I was talking about how it felt like Rhaenyra is latching on to Damon as a way to try and sue, try to fill the hole in her heart and to try and get over the loss she's feeling. And she sort of idolized Damon to this person he's not and just sort of being like, yeah, this isn't like, this isn't, this isn't what she dreamed it was. I interpreted it as I wasn't going to ruin your rep because you were a kid. They talked about this in the after the episode of that episode of episode four that in the writer's mind, Damon stopped because he wasn't into it and he felt guilty about it, which was kind of interesting take. So while this is all happening, they you cut to Aemond and he is also out on the beach at night. He has snuck out of the castle. Vagar has Vagar has apparently just hunkered down on somewhere nearby on another beach on Driftmark and is sleeping. Aemon runs up. You can't really see anything, but you can hear Vagar. It sounds like she's roaring, but it's actually she's snoring. Apparently dragons snore like thunder. And <laughs> it's kind of funny. It was almost like a Pokemon trainer where he's like sitting there with a Pokeball. He's getting ready to go. He's looking at like the Dragonite that's over there. He's like, shit, I got one Pokeball. Man, I gotta do it. And he runs up to Vagar. She's totally asleep, not even faking. He grabs the ropes and Vagar instantly gets up and looks over. So I'm guessing the ropes are, have been there for quite a while. This is how Lena ended up getting up onto Vagar's side because she is enormous. She is like 
double the size of a T-Rex, just an enormous beast. It's like a building laying on the beach. But it's interesting what happens because Vagar does the same thing that we saw during Game of Thrones, the shorthand for the dragons, I guess, checking for Valyrian blood. Vagar kind of gives a big sniff and goes like, oh yeah, you're one of those weird people that likes to ride me sometimes. Okay, I won't kill you, but you know, just leave me alone, I'm sleeping big granny energy on that one like go back to bed you shit <laughs> i don't have time for this but aemon's not going to be denied and he goes back and he grabs it again and vagar is now pissed she turns her head back and opens her mouth and is about to roast aemon alive which is i made a thread about how no dragons have hurt any riders that have ever tried to claim them and apparently vagar got close because she was like half a second from from killing aemon for trying to ride her but instead what happens, which I thought was really interesting, is that Aemond, who had previously been sort of shown as a little bit of like a, of a kind of a crybaby, like a, a little bit of a wimp, that kind of stuff. But he also showed great bravery when we went down to the dragon pit and he finds that bravery again and instead gives commands to Vagar to obey. And she sort of thinks about it for a second. She's listening. This is kind of a callback to what happened with, um, Lena, when she's telling Vagar to burn her alive, and Vagar's thinking about it, thinking if she's going to obey, and she's like, All right, all right, you're trying. Let's see what you got, kid, and does not kill him. Let's him climb up onto the saddle, basically giving him a tryout. <laughs> she's like, Okay, all right, all right, Amid, let's see what you got. Let's see if you can hang on, and takes off and starts soaring through the sky. It looks like she's going full speed, which is impressive considering she's granny vagar who just woke up and very much tries to it seems like very much trying to shake him off she's going from side to side she does a steep climb she goes back down she hits the water and aemon ba barely 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 holds on he's like yelling the entire time there's actually a there was a really funny scene during it, I don't think, I don't know if it was supposed to be funny, but when Vagar was climbing, you see Eamon and he's holding on by like two ropes and his like feet are going out straight behind him and he's screaming. And I was like, I have seen this scene in so many different like movies and TV shows where it's usually played for comedy. It was, it was another thing where I was like, oh, I guess we're, we're doing funny stuff now. Yeah, that's right. Matt Vagar definitely made him earn the ride and he ends up, he pulls it off. He stays on the harness. He manages to get into a good position and he is incredibly excited he's having the time of his life i'm not so sure about vagar she seems a little annoyed but she's going for it all right <laughs> calm down gaming with this guy like give it a break so the the thing that happens next is that Baylor and reyna look out the window and they see all this happening and for some reason they they run and get jace and luke and i'm like oh my god somebody stole vagar i don't know why they think jace and luke can do anything about this I don't really know what's going on there. I think it's just sort of a plot thing. If I were them, I would probably gone to get like anybody else other than them. Don't really know what's going on there. And then we also see that Damon has left Rainier after their sandy sex scene, if that's what you can call it, their, their sexual encounter. And he's watching Vega and trying to figure out who's writing it because he kind of, he's kind of putting it together like, oh shit, Vagar's like enormous. I can't believe somebody's riding. Okay, so we're just gonna, you're just gonna get a little bit of time out. Vagar lands and we get the big scene with Eamon losing his eye. So this is an important one. Vagar just kind of crashes to drop him off back at home. He's like, she's like, yeah, get off. Go back into your bed like we're done with this. And Eamon walks in and going back into the 
the bedroom or whatever. And there's a really weird argument about this. I know Learning Hands is going to talk about this, like who owns a dragon after the after the rider dies. Reyna and Bela basically say, Vagar is my mother's dragon. She was mine to claim. Eamon says back, well, your mother's dead. Vagar has a new rider. Then you should have claimed her. And they end up shoving each other and it sort of devolves into a pretty big brawl between the four kids. He calls, I think he calls Bela pig. It's clear here that after having picked up Vagar that Eamon is really feeling himself, that he has, I'm taking that thing off, it just keeps like bouncing around in my head and I can feel it and it's bothering me. I don't have the correct balance skills to have two hats on my head without feeling it. Jace attacks, for some reason he brought a dagger. I don't know why he brought a dagger. I don't know what he was doing with it. It's very much that it feels like there's been a, a lot of talk in the in the promo material that the dragon and the rider are like one in the same and how it's kind of a big deal that they sort of like share souls in a sense that they can feel each other. Like when Damon was on Dragonstone and Otto drew his swords, Craxis just kind of gets up and comes out sort of feeling Damon's anger. And I'm guessing that's sort of what's going on here that Eamon is really feeling, maybe he's feeling like Vagar's personality kind of pushing into him and... It's it's it comes out. He's much more savage. The the kid that tried to show empathy before is gone. He's threatening to feed people to Vagar. This is you can he sort of turns into like a little Visenya or a little Magor kind of out of nowhere. It doesn't have to be magical. It can just be that he's sort of exhilarated at what just happened, but it turns him into an asshole, like a gigantic bully. The whole fight progresses. It's a bunch of little kids throwing fake punches at each other. The one thing that ends up happening though is after Eamon gets knocked down, he picks up a rock and he hits a Jace with it. And he, and he like picks up Luke by the neck. Like he's about to choke slam him or something like that. And he's holding the rock and it's clear that he's going to probably kill somebody or he's going to try to. And Jace does the old ha ha pocket sand. Just like full on, just throws sand in his face. It's like sand attack from Pokemon. And Eamon does the, oh no, sand in my eyes, I can't see anything. Luke grabs the dagger and just slashes him across the face. So this is the start of Eamon One-Eye. Helena's prophecy definitely comes true. I think it is interesting that we do see that it is explicitly the, the Valarians, all four of them, that start this fight. They're angry about Vagar being ridden by someone else. Eamon antagonizes them back, but they initiate the the physical contact. They start attacking Eamon. He was defending himself, but he also was pushing them. He was being an ass back. So, you know, nobody's blameless in this one, but when we get to the further scene where they talk about who started it, the Valarians did start it. It's it's very different from the dragon pit scene we saw earlier from episode six, I think, where Jace gives the order to to Vermax to you know Jakaris the the goat or whatever to eat it and everyone's like giving him a pat on the back they're giving him high fives nobody's happy for Eamon they're there looking for a fight Eamon did take the dragon but you know he yeah he didn't start it he definitely escalated but you know that's kind of how it goes nobody nobody's looking good in this fight there's broken noses Jace is bleeding the rules of inheritance don't matter to dragons basically I I just think it's important to look back and consider how this compares to Jason the Dragon Pit. Like, clearly nobody's happy for Aemond about this. And I wonder if in a different context they would have been. 
but it's specifically that Bela and Reyna are angry about Var being ridden, that they feel it's sort of like grave robbing their mother in a sense that this conflict happens. I expected to come out of this one thinking that Aemon was totally at fault and they wrote it and they scripted it in a way so that you can see both sides on it. Both, you know, it was both of their faults. It was good on Mallory. So also the Kingsguard comes in. I guess they don't do anything. This, this fight went on for a little bit and nobody noticed that the kids were out of bed. Nobody noticed the fight was going on and all the screaming. All three of them show up like, what the hell? What are you guys doing fighting? It's like, I don't know. Isn't this your job, Kingsguard? Why aren't you doing anything about this? It's actually funny that Viserys asked Kristen about it and he doesn't have an answer. Harold Westerling ends up having to break up the fight, I think. Which is strange because he's not on Nightwatch, apparently. Don't really know what happened there. So they they we go to the Hall of Nine and there's the whole big conflict and Viserys wants to know what happened. Nobody's saying what's happened. We hear from the maester that, you know, it's going to heal, but Aemon has clearly lost the use of his eye. His eye is closed to get a dragon. Allison is freaking out. Kind of crazy what's going on here. <laughs> apparently, the, the weird thing about this whole sequence is that at first I thought it was just the family. And then they zoom out and you see the entire court and the castle is woken up and they've come to see the drama. You got to appreciate that about the King's Landing <laughs> nobles. They know good drama when they see it. They're not going to miss out on whatever the hell this is. Yeah, Kristen was in charge of the Night Watch. Apparently, he's not doing his job. I don't know what he's doing. Where was Kristen? You know, that he doesn't know that one of the prince, that three of the princesses, that three of the princes and both the Valarians have run away in the night. Not doing a good job there, Crispy. So let's see here. They go back and forth. Eamon says he was attacked. They say he attacked Bela. We, we just kind of went over this. Yeah, the Valarians attacked first. Eamon fought back. Everything was escalated. It was awful. The weird thing is that Damon's is sort of in the background. It's going like, cool. This is fun to watch. I'm enjoying this dramedy that, that's going on in front of me. The thing that really escalates is that Allison takes it from a fight between a bunch of kids and then she calls it an ambush and claims that they were there to kill Aemond. I mean, like, Jace did have a dagger, but they didn't know Aemond did it. They don't know who took the dragon. It was kind of crazy for him to do, but it was... They weren't there to, like, kill anybody, I don't think. And the mothers just keep ratcheting up the the problem. Mira files, fires back and says, no, her sons were attacked. They had to respond to Aemond. And also that vile lies were levied vile insults which i don't know if i would have said that one Rhaenyra. that one that one doesn't go over well for you and it starts the whole chain of events and we get the thing about how viserys finally has to deal with you know the fact that everybody knows that none of these kids are lanors everybody knows they're harwins and he just kind of freaks out this is the most angry i think we've seen viserys about anything he's screaming at everybody he's yelling at Aemon. he's like tell me the truth what really happened here he's telling allison to shut up it's things aren't going good the one thing that i, I did find really interesting about all this is Aemon totally sells out aegon out of nowhere where viserys asked him you know where did you hear these vile lies about about your nephews i think they're his nephews at this point and Aemon just sort of says aegon did and aegon's like oh, what the hell man what did i do to you yeah it wasn't i don't think it was smart by rhaenyra to bring that one up this was not when she wanted to have that argument but she kind of had to keep ratcheting up the stakes and, and i guess to change the argument away from yeah what was jace doing there with a knife that was kind of weird and it sort of seems like things are going to calm down viserys is like all right everybody stop this we're not doing this anymore i'm going to rip out the tongues of anybody that says, that repeats this vile lie about Rhaenyra and her sons. And Alicent just like 
goes goes to the moon and says Viserys says like we're family make your apologies and Allison says that's insufficient Aemond has been damaged personal has been damaged permanently and she turns to Rhaenyra and says I shall have one of her son's eyes in return and orders Kristen Cole to go cut out this eye of one of the princes Luke's basically and I understand that she's upset that Aemond lost an eye and this is a tense moment and blood's running hot, but holy shit, she orders one of the Kingsguard to go cut out the eye of Luke Valarian. Wow. She is really gone at this point. She, Allison has, has, is not here. Somebody else has replaced her. This is the craziest thing that that i have heard from any character on house of the dragon even Kristen is really taken aback by it and he's like and he he's like i don't want to do this and allison's like you're sworn to me you are my sworn shield and Kristen, in one of his few moments of not being a shithead in the last few episodes says that as your protector my queen meaning that he's not going to maim a child for her which is different from the future Kingsguard. I don't think Joffrey Baratheon Kingsguard would have any problems like that. They're like, all right, fine. You want me to cut out an eye? I'm going to go cut out an eye. Like Bor <laughs> Boros Blunt would have been on Luke before the before a word got out of Rhaenyra's mouth. He'd been like, yeah, fine, whatever, man. Job's a job. It's like the it's like it's like this is the line for Kristen Cole. Completely snapped. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Subi says completely snapped. V Viserys is like absolutely not. Nobody move. We're not doing this. But Allison is apparently all in. She grabs the dagger out of Viserys's bathrobe, which was I thought was kind of a choice. Like everyone got out of bed, so I guess Viserys always has his dagger on him. Like if he has to get up in the night to go take a piss or something like that. He takes his dagger with him. I guess that's what we're supposed to believe about this because he went to bed hours ago, but she grabs the dagger, unsheaths it and goes straight at, it looks like, I couldn't tell if it was Rhaenyra or Luke, but whatever one, it, it doesn't matter. Rhaenyra grabs her arm and Allison is like going full on, I'm going to kill somebody with this dagger. Craziness, craziness out of Allison. She's going to murder one of the princes or Rhaenyra in front of the entire court. I actually was kind of like, what the hell, Allison? Not really sure. <laughs> Not sure what's going on there. I didn't, I don't know. From earlier in the scene, I didn't get the sense that Allison was about to try and cut out a child's eye. But it, maybe it's the fact that she kind of lost the argument and Viserys was shouting about it, that he wasn't defending the kids that really pushed her over the edge. I don't really know. I don't really... I, I need like an after an episode to explain this one to me. That went, she went crazy with it. And it's not just that she went crazy. It's that everyone knows that she's doing something wrong. You see Harold Westerling like doing swim moves through the crowd to try and get towards them. Even Kristen goes running for it. But this is, this was actually the part of it that was like, all right, Damon is starting shit because I don't know if you noticed Kristen is running to get to Allison and Rhaenyra. I'm assuming he's going to try and separate them because otherwise I don't know what he's doing. If he wanted Rhaenyra to get hurt, all he had to do was stand there. But Damon stops Kristen, body blocks him, and then two Valarian guards grab him from behind. I don't know what Damon's doing. I don't know why he's stopping Kristen. Maybe he's worried that Kristen's like, charging through the crowd to go cut out an eye or something like that. I think Damon just wanted to see what was going to happen because that's basically what he's been doing the entire episode. He's like, Ooh, I'm enjoying the drama. Oh, Hey, AK Alicia Kingston in the chat. Yeah, we're going a little late. This was, a, there was a lot of this episode. 
don't really know why Damon stopped him. It has to be just to increase the drama. I don't really know why he's doing it otherwise. And then we get some really, really good dialogue. And this is something that I thought was a real strength of the episode is that the dialogue almost felt like a play. It felt like Shakespearean. They, they really upped the diction on a lot of the characters. It made them sound, they made them sound very different from the way they did in previous episodes. Like they put a lot of effort into every one of these lines, like I would guess that they started with these lines and then wrote the episode around it. So here's what Allison says at first. What have I done except what was expected of me? Forever upholding the kingdom, the family, the law, while you flout your duties. Where's duty? Where's sacrifice? Trampled under your pretty foot again. And then Otto actually, Otto being a good guy, says like, release the blade, Allison. Like, holy shit, do not kill Rhaenyra in front of everybody. Soon Damon thought, Cole would help Allison? I guess. I thought it was just the drama. And then, let's see here. Where was I? Allison then goes on, and now you take my son's eye, and even to that you feel entitled. You see what I mean? This doesn't sound like normal Game of Thrones lines. This feels like this feels like some like a classic play or something like that. I would be curious if this is a reference to something, because it doesn't sound like normal TV dialogue. It doesn't even sound like normal House of the Dragon dialogue. They put a lot of effort into it. And then Rhaenyra, she's they're 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 holding each other like she's holding her hand back. The dagger's right here. And Rhaenyra says, exhausting, wasn't it? Hiding beneath the cloak of your own righteousness. But now they see you as you are. And then Allison just like gets the crazy look in her eyes again, and she brings down the dagger and slashes Rhaenyra just straight across the arm. Blood is going is just spurting everywhere. She drops the dagger. Finally, everything stops. And then Eamon kind of ends the situation and he says a very intriguing line. And I think this is one we're going to remember for a while. And I think it's going to get a lot of analysis from the community in general. It says, do not mourn me, mother. It was a fair exchange. I may have lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. So I posted this on Twitter. This is obviously a reference to Brendan Rivers, but in a more general sense, this is quite clearly they're referencing the Norse god Odin, the idea that he gave up one of his eyes to the god of wisdom, I think it is, Mimir. And in exchange, he gained all these magical powers. He gained wisdom. He gained the ability to know things that he shouldn't and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of what George is, is drawing on here. and Or not George is drawing on. This is what... well. He designed the character, so that's what he's drawing on. But the line here is very much talking about that kind of the giving up the eye for power, very much calling back to Odin. And again, the, like, yeah, the, the diction is very different. Like you compare that back to what Aegon was saying about Helena, and it seems like a different show. And th this again continues the idea that we've been seeing from Aemon that after grabbing Vagar, after riding Vagar, he seems like a totally different person. I don't think that this is something Aemon would have said before he grabbed Vig. It's a very good line. Aemon is coming off as a villain in this episode, but this is this sounds like something Euron Greyjoy would say. I would expect to see this in like a future version of Forsaken. It's it's a very good line. Do not mourn me, mother. It was a fair exchange. Oof. Perfect. Love it. Really good. I mean he's Aemon's the worst, but even bad characters can have really good lines. There's also a weird scene afterwards where Kristen is sort of standing behind Allison and you can sort of get the feeling that he sees himself as Allison's husband, that Viserys is not her husband, that much like Rhaenyra, her, she has split her heart and her body, I guess. 
that Kristen is kind of her emotional husband. Oh, is that also in the book? It was a really good line if it was in the book. Did Vagar influence Lena into marrying Damon? Good question, Maui. I don't know, but if we're believing that there's the it's a two-way street between a dragon and the person, you can assume that maybe Lena went through a personality change after grabbing her dragon too. And then there's the scene between Otto and Allison. This is this is a pretty good one where Allison is sort of like, holy shit, what did I just do? I just slashed at the princess. I tried to take it out of kid's eye. Like, this was horrible. I should never do this. This was a bad thing. I'm Allison Hightower. This isn't who I am. And Otto's like, I never knew this is what you like. Oh my God, that was great, Allison. I didn't know you had it in you. It's like, oh no, dude. You're, you're, this is the first time you're rewarding Allison for her behavior. And it's when she tried to kill somebody in front of the entire court. Holy shit. Otto is a hundred percent on board for the, the war that's coming. Call back to Helena, where she said the hand turns the loom. Otto is turning the loom here. He is encouraging Allison that she didn't go far enough, that she wants more, that she should want more. Terrible, terrible parenting out of Otto. Yeah, not, not great. She calls it an ugly thing and I regret it. And Otto says back, we play an ugly game. But for now, for the first time, I see you have the determination to win it. You see her for what she is, what the king's stubbornness has wrought. He will forgive you. What else can you do? Be patient, plead the injury, keep a grip on his passions. And I promise you in time, we will prevail. What that rogue Aemon has done, winning Vagar to our side, the boy was right. It was worth a thousand times the price he paid. Which, by the way, if Aemon's price, the price of Vagar is a thousand times what Aemon paid. So isn't that a thousand eyes in one? Very clever reference there from the writers. A dragon is worth a blood raven, which is kind of interesting. Oh, thank you, Morley. $50. What an incredible episode. Yeah, it was a, it was a very good episode. Not my favorite, but uh, there were a lot of highlights to it and a lot of lowlights. But thank you very much. Appreciate it. Then we get a really gross scene where they're stitching up Rhaenyra. I don't know why they showed us it in such gross detail. You could just, you could see the open wound and then they're sewing it shut. You can see the skin coming through. I didn't really like that one. And then Laner shows up. He's like, Hey guys, what's going on? It's me, Laner Valarian. Did I miss something? Something big happened? Yes, Lanor, you missed something. You missed something big kind of stuff happened. And there's a really good conversation here between the two of them where this is like, they sort of had a frank conversation in the last episode about like, what they owe each other, how their marriage has gone. And this is, they're actually honest here. And Lanor acknowledges that his, his, these children are not his, but he is not going with Carl Corey. He's not going to the Stepstones. He's going to stay here and he's going to make it work. He's going to, he's going to prepare the princes to rule. He will be their dad, even if he's not their father. And Rhaenyra kind of looks at him a little funny. And at one point they start laughing, which kind of came out of nowhere. Lenore said, we made an arrangement to our duty to explore happiness. They both laugh. The awkward part is, of course, that Rhaenyra has basically committed to trying to marry Damon at this point. That was the whole point of their talk, is that she was saying, well, your, your wife is dead. I don't really like my husband. We like each other. Doing one of these at Damon. So I think it's clear that Rhaenyra was going to try and break up with Lenore here as much as she could, but Lenore comes in and just says the opposite. He's like, I am here for you until my last day. I will be the perfect husband, the one you haven't had. A little awkward with considering how recently she banged Damon on the beach. Here's the line about it. It's actually a really good one. John McMillan did a really good job as Lenore in the short time they've given him. There are times when I do not think these two, th he says, we made an arrangement to do our duty, explore happiness. Look, love is the death of duty. That one came up again. Lara said that last time. 
There are times when I do not think these things can coexist. To recall returning, but I recommit myself to you and our house as we prepare for your ascension. Raise our sons to be princes of the realm. You deserve better than I have been. You deserve a husband. Awkward. Awkward for Lanor. Sorry about that one, bud. You're, you are about like six hours too late. Show us your, your Pokemon? Oh. The ones behind me? Kind of all over the place. Got a Dragonite, a Bulbasaur, the nine down there. I guess those are my Pokemon for 350 likes. Thank you guys for slamming the like button. We're almost at the end of the stream, don't worry. My voice is still holding up. I only cracked a few times because apparently I'm still going through puberty. Yeah, Rhaenyra, that's a good that's a good call, Maxim Howard. Rhaenyra is really funny in this episode. She has she showed this off in episode four, I believe, when she's making fun of the lords. She does have a good wit and she has a good a good way of turning phrases. Alright. There you go. Dragonite. My first love is a dragon, little Bulbasaur over there. I I haven't thought this. It's been a while since I got 350 likes on a on a video. Holy shit! It's 460 people watching. So let's see here. Where were we? Olaner also talked. Has a very has a very good line, and Rhaenyra actually shows back that she she does care about him. Lenor hangs his head and says, "I hate the gods for making me as they did." Obviously, he's talking about how him being a gay has impacted their marriage, and how has sort of made a mess of their lives. And Rhaenyra says back, I do not, you are an honorable man with a good heart and it's a rare thing, which was kind of a very sweet line coming back, you know, that they do, they don't hate each other. This isn't like Cersei and Robert. It's just that things have not worked out the way that they wanted, you know, they wanted to have at least one kid and then they could just sort of do whatever they want. And there's sort of been a failure on both sides, but you know, it just, their arrangement, the gamble they made didn't work. And you can see how it's torn up Alice, how it's torn up both Lanor and Ren So, let's see here. Everyone's going back home. Allison gives the king wine to help him. I'm sure that won't come back in, in any way together. And you can sort of see that there's just a lot of pride going on with Rhaenyra and Viserys and Corlys. None of them want to admit what went on with Harwin. And they're basically going to ride or die the lie that they're Valarian, kind of no matter what. Kristen took the dagger. He must have given it back. There's no way he would keep it. We see the dragons taking off while Daemon and Rhaenyra are standing on Driftmark. You see Vagar flying away with Aemond on it. Vagar is enormous, like three times the size of that boat. All the other dragons look tiny next to it. You also see it looks like Sunfire and Dreamfire flying away. And we get an interesting cut to, well, okay, these are happening side by side, but it's they're they're positioning the two characters for Rhaenyra and Allison to do sort of the same thing. Rhaenyra has chosen Damon over Lenor in her heart, basically, and as we're gonna see, literally, and in the same way, Allison chooses Laris over Kristen Cole, and both of them are kind of abandoning the the sort of good. Okay, Kristen's not a good man, but he at least represents to Allison a sort of the way that she had been living her life that there is sort of a code of conduct that matters that uh, the idea that she's playing fair i guess you know that Kristen wouldn't wouldn't tear out a kid's eye for her and it's it's sort of the same thing between them so laris is seen again on the boat with allison hang on let me see if i can find the line Laris saunters up and says, a perversion of justice, the young prince defiled an outrage. He's doing the same thing as Otto. He's encouraging Allison's feelings of being angry. Yeah, Kristen's not a good person, but he's he's distinctly less a bad person than Lara Strong, okay? I think we can agree that. On the scale of like 
one to ten of bad people. Like Kristen's probably like a seven or an eight, but Laris is like a twenty-five. And I, I, that's the kind of the point I'm making here. He represents a very different kind of evil and a very different level of what you're willing to do. And Allison's like, all right, we're all in on Laris. He's, Allison says, indeed. And then Laris says, if it's an I you want to balance the scales, I'm your servant. And he's basically saying, hey, if you want me to go take out an eye for one of my nephews, I will totally do it for you, Allison. Oh, hey, learned hands. Um, Clint or Mary, whichever one it was. Hey, how you guys doing? Now, th I, I actually thought this was another unintentionally funny moment because Allison turns to him and very, very deliberately says, that will not be necessary, but your devotion has not gone unnoticed. Because obviously, last time Allison gave a command to Laris that was, like, or even expressed an interest that was sort of ambiguous about what she wanted to happen, Laris then killed his entire family. So... Allison has quite clearly learned that when she gives commands to Laris, she has to be hyper specific about what she means. Like, do not murder five people to do this, Laris. Like, it's it's okay. Don't do this. <laughs> Which was unintentionally funny. I did like that. And Laris says back, these are dangerous times. Allison says, the day doubtless comes where I will need such a friend with not only skill but discretion. And Laris puts this big smile on his face and says, I shall await your call, my queen. So Laris is, is now going to be Allison's primary ally, that Kristen is getting dumped, and Laris is stepping up to the plate. Uh, yeah, that's that's not a good sign for what Allison's going to do after she almost just killed a kid and almost killed Rhaenyra in, in front of the entire court. If you're embracing Laris, I just killed my father and brother as your primary ally, Things aren't going to go good. He seems just so excited to do some war crimes. And then we get to kind of the last part of the, well, there's three more things coming up. We're going to try and run through these fast because this we've been talking for quite a while. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. So, oh yes, that's a good call, Maxim Howard. Pretty symbolic that Rhaenyra was cut with that blade too. Prophecy is the double-edged sword. Yeah. Blood on the blade, similar to Bran when he got cut with the blade later in the series. So what ends up happening is Damon and Rhaenyra have this big conversation and it starts off with this and it's a really another really well-written dialogue from Rhaenyra and she says I need you uncle and then she switches to Hive and their love language as they call it I cannot face the greens alone call back to Helena these are officially the greens now let us bind our blood just as Aegon the Conqueror did with his sisters with you as my husband and prince consort my claim would not be so easily challenged the Valarians are of the sea but you and I are made of fire we have always meant to burn together. Damon's like, ah, I can't really do that. You're married. Like, that's that's a big no-no. Especially, not even Damon could have two wives. So there's no chance that Rhaenyra's going to. And Rhaenyra's like, I know. And Damon's like, oh, what, what are we talking about here? What are you saying, Rhaenyra? Are you saying that you want me to Rhea Royce, Lenor Valarian? Yeah, he seems really taken aback at this. And you can see why. I think for Damon that Rhaenyra has always, that he didn't want her to become like him in a way. You know, that he said earlier that, you know, I spared you from being with me, that Damon sees himself as such a chaotic and awful person that clearly he's really surprised that Rhaenyra kind of shares his ambition that she wants to, you know, get rid of her husband in order to seize power. And he's like, oh, okay. Dragon gas lipstick? Okay. They need to start selling that one. Otto's the 
Palpatine the situation. That is correct, Learned Hands. Absolutely. So Damon puts on his murdering cloak and we see him down at the harbor and he approaches Carl Corey, who's like sitting in this weird little alcove. He's looking very unhappy. Lenor basically just broke up with him. And Carl gets really close to Carl. I mean, Damon gets really close to Carl and talks about how, you know, there's places across the narrow sea where it does not matter what a man's name is, only how much gold he possesses. And Carl's like, what are you telling me to do here, Damon? And he just says, a quick death, one with witnesses, and then slams a pile of gold into his hand. So the episode here is doing a big fake out. They clearly want you to think that Damon just paid for Carl Corey to kill Lanor Valarian. This is one of the things that I was, I had to go back and watch this a couple times to like think through exactly what happened with this whole sequence. It has, I, it's a little tough to get through, but all right. So basically what actually happened, despite the fake out they're doing, is that Damon has paid Carl Corey to fake Lanor's death and then the two of them get on a boat and go across the sea to Essos. And the rationale for why they do this is coming from the, the narration that's coming overhead. Where Rhaenyra says, I will not be a tyrant who rules through terror. And Damon basically says, like, well, you have to. People have to fear you. You have to do things that make them respect you if you can't be like Viserys. And Rhaenyra's like, I do love Lenor though. Basically saying, like, I don't want to kill him. And Damon's like, then grant him this this kindness, set him free. And this was really confusing to me at first. I took the set him free as in set him free from life. Like, let's go through with this. I will Rhea Royce him. We'll get him out of the picture. This will be okay. Oh, thank you for the super chat, Arya Stark. $5. Appreciate it. Love the hat. Really enjoyed the episode. All the dragons. Wish they show Helena riding hers. I'm going to bed. I'm old. I can't keep. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. We'll see Dreamfire later, I guess. So, so the scene opens and you see Lenor and Carl fighting in front of some servant boy. And there ends up being sort of like a nonsense reason. He's like, you always talk down to me and drew his sword and the two of them fart, start fighting. And the servant boy's like, oh my God, I'm going to go get help. But meanwhile, you see Damon kill this random guy that's sort of walking through the Valarian halls. And... The kid goes and gets Corlys and Rhaenys and they get the guards and they're running back to the Hall of the Nine. It's not really that long of a journey, by the way. Like, we saw Viserys walking through this. It's relatively quick. In that time, apparently, Carl has killed Lenor and shoved him into the fire, which has burned him beyond recognition in, like, a crazy small amount of time. Instead, what we find out actually happened is that this was that guy that Damon killed... Damon killed him. They dressed him up like Lenor. They started this fight in front of this kid and then shoved the dead body into the fire and then I guess escaped. It it was it was hard to track at first. I I did have to go back a few times and like watch through. I'm like, wait, what just happened? Why did they do this? And again, it goes back to the narration that Nor wants Lenor gone but she doesn't want to kill him. And Damon's making like, oh, we don't have to kill him. We just have to make it look like you did so that people will fear you in like the same sort of way that like we, I assume that Allison had a hand in killing Harwin. We need to make people think that I, Damon, and also you, Rhaenyra, are savage enough to kill even Lane or Valarian for your goals. And yeah, th there is, 
Okay, so there, there's obviously a couple big reasons they didn't kill Lainor, which I'm actually, I'm not upset about. Like, I'm actually pretty happy they didn't kill Lainor. I like the actor. John McMillan has been great. I love Lainor as a character. I'm like, I don't know what they're going to do with him in the future, but I'm happy he's not dead. But I think they thought better of basically killing another of the just like completely brutally killing every single queer character that has showed up in the show so far. So yeah, good choice on that one. I want to know what they're going to do with Lenor in the future, but I think rather than in terms of like what it, what the idea of saving Lenor's life in the story and having him go off to Essos, which he totally could have, like, I guess, although I'm pretty sure he's just like flat out dead in the books. Like they see his corpse. There, there's a number of problems. Actually, Sanrixian and everyone in the comments on YouTube said the same thing. Like, what the hell about Sea Snoke? Lanor's not dead. And we just saw that Vagar flew across the ocean with Lena's body. So I don't really know what's going to happen to Sea Smoke here. Like, is Sea Smoke going to go across the narrow sea too to follow Lanor? I don't quite understand. That one's kind of a problem, especially because Sea Smoke minor spoiler he does get used later in the in the story or she i don't actually know what sea smoke male or female i feel like sea smoke's male but i don't actually know they only know when they lay eggs and apparently they can just sort of change at the did i say sea smoke sea smoke sea smoke sea smoke that one's going to be curious as far as i know no no two people can ride a dragon it's like one at a time so either lanor dies in the future or they're just going to change that. I don't quite know about it. Tricked into unbonding. I don't really, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know how they're going to deal with that. But I thought the other problem more than like sort of trying to work through the dragon lore problems and like the logic problems of how Lanor is alive and what he's going to do now is that I thought that they focused way too much on Rhaenyra and Daemon for this scene. You know, they had Rhaenyra and Daemon talk about how the Valarians are of the sea and how the sea represents an escape and how the Targaryens are fire, but they're water. And we, all this stuff about like, you can just escape and go do something else. These are all lines that I thought Lanor should have said. Instead of just sort of getting on a boat and rowing his way out like Gendry, I really wanted to see what his reaction was to getting this news. So like, if you think back to the sequence of events, so Damon gives Carl Corey a bunch of money. So clearly Carl works it out with Lenor that they're going to fake his death and run away. But as a part of that, Lenor has to realize that Rhaenyra is basically saying, I reject you, get out of my life. What did he say to that? What did he think about that? Did he struggle with the idea that he has to leave behind sea smoke and his family and the life he has in Westeros to go to Essos to be someone random? It's like, it's the offer that Kristen gave Rhaenyra, except we don't get to see what Lanor thought of it. And that was my biggest problem with the idea that Lanor survives this death at the end. It's that it's not focused on him, it's focused on Rhaenyra. I wanted to know what he thought, and that just really wasn't there. Maybe we will in the future, maybe while he's out there rowing and he bumps into Gendry, they'll talk about it. But yeah, it's... I didn't like it for that reason. I know other people are going to like it for other reasons for like breaking the book canon and that they have, they have, there's no clear understanding of what Lanor's going to do in the show from now on. It's just that I thought that they missed the emotional beat and that they gave him this big speech earlier that he's like, I'm a hundred percent committed to you, Rhaenyra. I'm in, I'm going to raise these kids. And then he just totally changes his mind, but we don't see it happen. Yeah. So 
I don't know if that's why everyone else, if that's how anyone else feels like, but as a concept, I am perfectly happy that Lenor is alive. I didn't really think that he was, I like his character. I like the actor. I like the performance. I want more Lenor Valarian. I remember being disappointed in Fire Emblem, but being like, oh, that he dies right here. I like, all right, fine. I guess he's gone because he seemed like an interesting guy and now he's going to come back somehow in some way. So that's fine. I don't mind changes for adaptations. It's just, I don't think it was a well-executed adaptational change. Like they're missing like one or two scenes of Lane or hearing the news and thinking this through and all that other kind of stuff. It actually could have been while they, while they were rowing away, I thought it would have been good to give him like an, an exit speech and to have Carl like question him about why he's doing this and like Lane or kind of explaining. I was talking to Joanna Robinson about this earlier and I, my point was, I think that they showed you that Laner's okay with it because he left, but I wanted them to tell me, I wanted to know what his thoughts were and why, what, what are his internal justifications for why he went along with the fake his death plan to go on to Essos because it's not explained. We don't know why he agreed to do it, especially with leaving behind sea smoke, which is going to be a thing. Dragon's apparently going to go after him at some point. So I don't know. That that's kind of my thought on that one. I didn't I didn't super like it. I don't care that it breaks book canon or anything, like whatever. <laughs> that's Lenor dying there is not a big deal to me. Or it wouldn't Okay, changing that is not a big deal to me. And I see the the good reasons to do it. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Keep him alive. I'm glad. Well, I'm not even sure it is a, a good a good ending, Mallory. We don't really know what's gonna happen to him from here. This is like a totally new chapter in Lenor's life. Is this is he gone from the show forever now, or is he going to come back? Like, does he show up later in the dance as a different character or something? It's they're going to have to make up something if this is not just his last scene. So yeah, I'm, and I'm sure my opinion on this will change when we eventually see what they do with him. Like if this is, if they just kill him off screen in Essos and that's how they free up sea snake for sea smoke for what he ends up doing. Like, I'm not going to be super happy about that. Like, if you, if you keep them alive, if you're changing this, have it matter later in the story too. Don't just have it be this and then end. That's my thought on it. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. It was, it, I don't know. I wasn't a big fan that they Gendry'd him basically. That that's, that's the end of, if that's the end of his story, that they put him on a boat rowing out to the sea. That's what Game of Thrones did to Gendry. And I don't want Lainor to be Gendry part two, but it's hard not to see that's what they just did to him. Just kind of row off into the sunset and maybe we'll pick you back up later. Although I guess I have a little bit more faith in Ryan Condal and his team to make it work later than a Dan and Dave did. I guess he's going to the Disputed Lands. And then the last part of it is the Valyrian marriage. I mean, this comes before what I was just talking about. We get to the marriage between Damon and Rhaenyra. Really not that, not a lot of happiness or passion going on in this wedding. Like this is what Rhaenyra has been dreaming about since she was a teenager and she's kind of like, yay, we're doing this finally. We're going through with it. Yeah, in the chat, yeah, the kids look totally miserable to be seeing this. There's a weird maester we've never seen before that gets quite a lot of camera time, like they focus on him quite a bit. I'm guessing he's gonna be a part of the story going forwards. And we get to see what is a Valyrian marriage, I guess. is wearing kind of like a crazy headdressy thing. I'm not really sure what it is. They're both wearing these white robes with that's kind of like with like a gradient of red on it or something like that. A lot of blood in this wedding. You see a priest that's performing kind of the Valyrian marriage rites. He's also wearing a similar vest thing to Vaemon. So I guess this means that it's like a Valyrian holy person. I don't really know. 
I guess that's what it is. Then they take a piece of obsidian, which I thought was interesting because Amanda made that video talking about obsidian today, but it looked like they dragged obsidian like right here across their mouths, which that's going to suck. They're not going to be able to eat anything for like a couple of weeks on that one. I'm also pretty sure this is back on Dragonstone. I don't think they did this on Driftmark. Then they take their hands and they slash all the way across it, like deep cuts across their hands. And then they, they grasp them together and there's blood sort of dripping off their hands and their mouths. And they like draw something on their forehead and then they, they kiss and they promise to, did I actually write this down? I forgot what they said. It's, it's something in High Valyrian. They basically like promise to blah, blah, blah. They're married. Rhaenyra looks kind of happy, but Damon's face is kind of inscrutable. I don't really know what he's thinking if he's happy about this because it's, it's a, it's a really fast marriage for the two of them and they haven't seen each other for 10 years and they're really different people and they are both coming off their effective spouses dying. And is this more political? Is this power based for both of them? Like, or is this love based? Because it's always sort of felt that Rhaenyra was the one with the more romantic interest and Damon's interest in Rhaenyra is more trying to screw with Viserys, but also kind of power-based more or less. Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't seem super happy. I don't know, what do you guys think? What'd you make of Matt Smith's performance here? Because he, he doesn't look happy, <laughs> I don't think. He, I don't know. Rhaenyra looks more satisfied than happy, like, but this is kind of the problem. She's sort of pinning everything on Damon, like, well, finally, my uncle's back, my chaotic uncle with his dragon. This will make my succession go great. And this is the power alliance I need. And it's like, is it, is it Rhaenyra? I don't think it is. Damon has no allies. He has Caraxes. That's something, I guess. Everybody hates Damon. This isn't going to help you win any, win any support, I guess. He's not good politically. He's his best thing he can do is basically be kill a bunch of people for you. If that's what Rhaenyra wants. I sort of took this as the flip side to Rhaenyra. I mean, to Allison and Laris, that this is sort of Rhaenyra embracing the ugly game, as Otto calls it, that she's embracing what he represents, that she's going to, this is her preparing for war, and that she knows that Allison has really pushed things to the edge, and that she doesn't think she can win this, win whatever struggle is coming just by sort of being, fighting the way they were. She needs a wild card like Damon to help her, and... Yeah, that, this is not going to turn out well for her. And I know shippers are probably losing their minds and they are super happy about the fact that the Damon and Rhaenyra finally got together. But this is this is a very ominous marriage and the, the music wasn't happy and the, the color grading was very muted and their kids look pissed. And I was just like, oh boy, like this reminded me way more of her marriage to Lenor with like with her crying and Viserys falling down and blood in the background than it did like the triumphant execution of this of this relationship that had sort of been foreshadowed for quite a long time. Uh, yeah, also it was just gross like the blood was gross. I don't know yeah, Sasuke made a good point. I don't know how you're kissing with like your lip your lips sliced open. That can't be good. That's going to hurt a lot. Like this was painful. And uh, shot with a shade over the camera. Yeah, basically. I, I think it's I think it's on purpose that they showed you that this the marriage between them hurts. That it's it's taking like its wounds that they they've joined their their causes together. Oh boy. Yeah, if it was strategic, it wasn't very good. Damon's not really 
going to help in the way she wants. He's a warrior, and that's a good thing. But uh, I don't think she's going to expect much help from the Valarians going forward. They were, she Clearly, they're all pissed at her already, except for Corlys, who's going to defend her. But uh, I don't know. I, I think she maybe should have picked someone other than Damon. But she's clearly thinking with a broken heart and thinking about how Owls would just try to kill her with a dagger more than uh, sort of doing the the cold logical thing that she should have done yeah it's she also said an interesting line about how fire is a prison which was that's also not a great start to a marriage proposal i guess who could she pick outside of damon jason lannister probably would still step up Athians, she could have gone for that one offering true-blooded targaryen children i guess i think uh, oros baratheon is probably unmarried at this point jason lannister still has a the mountain of gold starks are an option Vale's an option there were they're the same options that she had when she married Leonor Valarian. It's just Damon was a bad choice back then, and he's kind of a bad choice now. And we're going to see f- definitely how this relationship works out because Damon is, I know, Jason Lannister, but he's a shithead, but he's a shithead with gold and armies. And if that's what Rhaenyra thinks she needs to beat back the High Towers at some point, then it's not a terrible choice. Okay, it is a terrible choice as like a person jason lannister would suck to marry but she's not really married she sh- that's not really she needs to be thinking more about like what's going to happen now that allison has really pushed it to the next level although he might be married and have a kid by now i'm not really sure what the sh- what the canon is on what jason's up to at this point and we're, we're gonna see like what this relationship actually looks like now that it's not the two of them you know sneaking around at night and giving each other furtive glances and you know it's not for it's not this forbidden thing that they can't have it's like the reality of being with each other and the marriage that they just went through and on a day-to-day life living with Damon Targaryen like nobody nobody has been in, has enjoyed being around Damon every single day and that's sort of been R- Rhaenyra's relationship to him that he would come and go that he would show up at court and he'd disappear he'd go to the stepstones and then he'd disappear you get exiled and then you come back it's she hasn't had especially this version of Damon she doesn't even know who he is anymore it's been a long time so there's going to be a lot of growing pains in the on Dragonstone as they try and figure out how to be more than just like both of our effective spouses just died and we screwed on a beach like the real relationship's about to come and I don't know how it's going to go. Don't think she would have given up Lena for anyone else really. Well, Lena was the smart choice at the time to get the Valarian the Valarian faction on her side and their dragons, but uh, nobody else has any dragons. There's no one left to marry on on Driftmark, so at that point she's kind of looking around. I would say the Baratheons are probably her best shot. If Boros was still unmarried, that's who she probably should have gone to instead of Damon. But, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. She has married Damon Targaryen, and now she has to live with the fact that she has her chaotic, like, like murderous uncle on her side. Good point, Revolution 2020. Yeah, Damon's not going to stop womanizing. That was sort of, he basically told that to Rhaenyra underneath the Weirwood tree, where he's like, you know, marriage for politics, but, you know, screw whoever you want on the side. Like, I don't think that's going to go over well. <laughs> that that attitude is exciting when you're the side piece, basically, and what Rhaenyra was. But when you're the when you're expecting your husband not to screw around, boy, that's not going to be great. I don't know anything I didn't cover. Throw it into the chat at me, bro. We've been going for like a little bit over two hours. I'm gonna check my doc, see if anything. Let's see here. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of the sex scene. It was it was. I was trying to tell if they tried deliberately to make it less exciting to watch, or if it was just that that was because it was Miguel Sapochnik versus I forget her name, but the 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 female director that did. 
episode four. I was I was trying to figure out if it was it was because it was Miguel versus her, or if it was deliberately scripted that way. Could you speak on why Allison just makes up a paranoid story about Rainier without ever checking it with anyone? Which paranoid story? Which one are you talking about? Get back to me in the chat and I'll answer that one. Brent Dismuck, do you think Rainier is pregnant in the next episode? Probably should be. If there depends on the timeline that they're sticking to, like Daron, Allison's fourth child, hasn't shown up at all. He's not even on the 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 episode the character guide that HBO has put up. I don't really know what he is, where he is, if he exists. It'd be crazy if they cut him. But yeah, I think Rainier will probably end up pregnant pretty fast. She's got a couple more kids to to give birth <clears throat> to give birth to. So Ooh, need more water. This is what happens when you talk for two hours straight. Sorry about that. One day my balls will drop. That Rhaenyra will kill her kids. Oh, that's the one Otto told her. She just has sort of internalized it and decided it is true. No evidence that Rhaenyra would ever try to kill her kids. It's it's just sort of seems to be this lingering fear that upon ascension they will she's gonna murder all of her rivals, which is just it's just blatantly a projection from Otto. That's what he would do. There's no indication Rhaenyra has has it in her to kill anybody's kids. All right, let's see here. Oh shit, I'm sorry. I should have I should have. Should have muted that. I am sorry. Bad cough. Uh, rip people with headphones. My bad on that one. Is what this is in learning his don't know what to make of that one. Do you think Helena Targaryen covering the spider with the shell was some sort of foreshadowing about stopping Laris? I do think the way that they cut that scene and how it instantly goes to Laris, I think that is important. I think they are foreshadowing that something's gonna happen between Helena and Laris. I don't know what it is but it is interesting that they seem to be tying them together at this early point. Helena's had basically two scenes. One of them was about prophecy and the other one was about prophecy and then Laris. So curious about where that one's going to go. Look forward to that video that I, I'm going to have coming out pretty soon. Probably going to try and get it out by tomorrow or early Tuesday. We're going to look at that one. Don't you worry. That one's coming up. Sea smoke for nettles in the future? I don't think so. They're doing the wild dragon. So I think, I don't think, Sea smoke will be with the nettles in the future. I wasn't afraid of saying it. I was worried about if I was spoiling people. I guess I am, but they'll probably show up in the next episode. So it's like the minors of spoilers or next episode or two. They had Rhaenyra had three kids off camera, two kids off camera and one to show up. So they're, they're doing them. They're having them show up fast. Well, they're not done with child actors. There still will be some. Laris is a firefly, not a spider. They're both insects. So when you're talking about how prophecy kind of works, it's... You can be a little loosey-goosey, especially when you're talking about visual metaphors rather than explicit ones. Thoughts on Laris as a green seer? Laris is a green seer. I think he definitely is. I think his reactions in this episode really, and his bizarre kind of smiling and the things that he's happy about, I think are definitely pointing him toward, is definitely pointing again towards the idea that he is really happy there's a war coming, that he's causing it, and that he seems to have some sort of long-standing plan like years or decades in the making that is so crazy to have it work out that he has to either be the best schemer of all time or he has to be working with green dreams and green sight and that kind of thing otherwise it's also his amorality is very close to bran as a character especially during season eight so i think definitely we're gonna i think this there wasn't anything explicit, like there was no rat or anything like that, or the weirwood face, but I think that they, the way they told Matthew Needham to play Laris in this one continues to point towards the idea that he's working on a different level. Oh, fuck, I forgot again. Oh my god. I need more water. 
I don't have any. Polar seltzer. I've been going for like two hours. Oh, almost three hours now. Yeah, we're going to end this soon. Well, it's... If Laris is the spider, then it's just... It's a metaphor. It's not literal. Uh, I still don't know what the firefly's about. I don't think anybody does. I haven't seen a convincing explanation, so... Who knows? Last call. Last call in the chat. Anything else? Love the videos. Keep up. Thank you, Jonathan Ray Lewis. Appreciate that. If you guys have enjoyed this, by the way, make sure you subscribe for more. We're doing this after every episode for the rest of the season. Going to be putting out videos and we're obviously not going to, I'm not going to stop when the season ends. There's a lot more I wanted to make videos about. I just don't have time to. So we're going to do this in the future. So subscribe for a lot more hot D and fire and blood content. Laris is attracted to Allison. Kind of seems like it. He seems obsessed with her. I don't know if, I don't know if it's attraction, but he's definitely obsessed with her. He seems to think that Allison is the key to something he really wants. I don't know if that's explicitly like sexual or if it's that he knows her role in what's coming and that's why he's drawn to her or he thinks he thinks about her role to come because it is well that would be a big spoiler so i'm not gonna say what i just thought of but yeah laris has had interest for allison for a while but i mean just because it, it definitely could go that way we know so little about him that actually i was talking about this on on radio westeros's live stream they did with jason concepcion and I wondered if the reason Laris, despite being now the Lord of Harrenhal, hasn't married anybody is that he's holding out for Alicent, that he wants to marry her when Viserys eventually dies. That would be really an interesting twist on his character, or if he's really just using her. I'm excited to find out which one it is. What do you mean when you said Alicent is choosing Laris over Crispin? Oh, so it's the exact call out here is that Alicent asked for Crispin to go ahead and cut out Lucerus's eye. And Chris and Crispin said, no, he refused. And he said, I'm only sworn to protect you effectively saying, I will not do your thuggery. But then Laris offers to do it for her. And Allison, after hearing the speech about Otto, about, you know, we play the ugly game and that we have to do things that we think are immoral for the sake of victory. Allison internalizes it and says, you know what, Laris, not right now. Don't do this. But in the future, I want what you offer, the guy that just murdered his family. So in that sense, that's a very big choice for Allison as a character. She no longer wants the Kingsguard knight on her side. She wants the psychopathic murderer. And that's a very big change for her character. Like, she was shocked at, to learn what Laris did. Now she's like, okay, I think I can use you doing the things I know that you did. So that was, that was what I was trying to say. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the High Towers are pirates. Definitely. Why am I calling him Crispin? Because it's funny. I know his name is Kristen Cole, making fun of him by calling him Crispin or Sir Crispy. Also, that's what Damon called him. He called him Crispin Cole. Let's see here. I, all the RT, I know that's what literally happens. I'm going to remove that because it's a big spoiler. But I'm saying that just because we know it ends up... It doesn't mean that Laris doesn't want that to happen, you know? Yeah, Damon just renamed him by with an off-handed comment. I think that's probably about it. We've been going for almost three hours and my voice is falling apart on me. I got to get some sleep, got a video to make tomorrow. So, you know, thank you again for everybody that showed up. A lot of people watching tonight. Thank you everybody that slammed the like button. Thank you to people with, with the super chats. Michael James for the $2. Arya Stark, Morley Sanrixian, TJD18, Robert Daniel Pickard, and Lefrenic. And also I want to say thanks to the new patrons that showed up recently after my channel took off. So thank you to Steven Stark who re who came back. Welcome. Glad to have you back, Steven. 
Ariella G. Oh, these people told me their names. Hang on a second. Kate Mudd of Old Stones, Tess Hill, Blood Mage of House Horrigan and Crow's Nest, Zalaridis. I'm terrible at reading new names. Simia Canis, and there was somebody else. Hang on a second. One second. I'm just going to make sure I get these. And Peter Marino, thank you all you guys for signing up for my Patreon at patreon.com slash showmagician. Definitely make sure to subscribe to get more content. I'm going to aim for, I didn't get my two videos last week because the one I put out took a lot longer than I thought, but I'm going to go for two and definitely look out for some shorts. I keep recording them, but it's after I stayed up all night, so I look like shit. So I'm going to try and get good sleep one of these nights and then do a short. So that doesn't, I don't have giant bags under my eyes and we'll look forward to those. Make sure you show up next week, same time, 10, 15 after the episode. We'll be doing the same stuff, breaking down episode eight. Hope you guys enjoyed this and I